as you're taking your seats, turning your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 5. As we continue on through our series in the book of James, Living Faith, you know, I have the confidence, you know, reading scripture, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, you know, the Bible says that he invites us into his presence, like we can come boldly into his presence because of the finished work of Jesus Christ and that, you know, our praises and our sacrifices of praise and our prayers, it's a sweet sound in the ear of the Father. So I just imagine, if y'all think anything like me, that when our brother Robert was praying and started singing in the middle of his prayer, I'm like, Lord, that's how my, that's how my prayers sound to you. They sound that good. They sound, I get it now. I get it. I didn't know before, but now I get it. Me and Mandy both said, we're like, ooh. That's what the Father said when I'm praying because of the finished work of Christ. James chapter 5. You, you probably heard a lot of things, beloved, this past week. Man, I imagine you've heard a lot of opinions, a lot of thoughts, a lot of ideas. I wouldn't be surprised if you heard this past week that the key to happiness is if you just had a little bit more money. Wouldn't be surprised if you heard this past week that the reason why you're so unhappy is because you don't have enough money. Now, beloved, hear the word of God. Come now, you rich people. Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, your clothes are moth-eaten, your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasure in the last days. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out. And the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned. You have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. Beloved, if you were asking a question, is RCC a health and wealth and prosperity church? You're getting ready to find out. Let's pray and ask God's hand and help as we open up his text this morning. Father, we need you. We need you to work through distractions. 
We need you to work through even the voice in our own heads. We need you to work through, I'm too far gone for God to save. We need you to break through that. Lord, your word tells us that it's your goodness that draws men unto repentance. And Lord, it's your goodness that you would even speak to us. Speak now, O Lord. And may your people hear. Pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you were here last week or on the live stream last week, you, you probably remember the, the illustration I gave about my grandmother and all the grandkids who would come over to her house. And one of my cousins would get in trouble and my grandmother would be going off on that cousin. And then all of our fates would change because we thought we should laugh at that other cousin who's getting in trouble. Well, that was wrong because that would then turn my grandmother's attention on us. And my grandmother would start off with these faithful words, oh, you think that's funny, don't you? When those words were spoken, everything about our life changed. Our life flashed before our eyes. Y'all, I've been telling y'all since the beginning, since we first dove into the book of James, that James is, has a word for every category of Christian. And the reason why he has a word for every category of Christian is because every category of Christian needs sanctification. It doesn't matter what season of life you're in, you need to be drawn closer to Jesus Christ. Every category of Christian needs Jesus daily. Every category of Christian needs repentance daily. So y'all know nobody is safe. And I imagine with my spiritual imagination that as James was talking to those folks who last week thought that life was just so long, we're going to live forever. We can do whatever we want to. Life is long. Eternity is short. I imagine that, you know, that, that category of rich Christian was, was sitting in the corner sort of laughing. <laughs> yeah, get him, James. And then James looks at them and says, oh, you, you think that's funny, don't you? Come now. Come now, you Rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. With every other group, every other group we had to lean in. Every other group we had to take the blows to the chin. So this category that James is saying here in James chapter 5, all of us who fit that category, we need to lean in. And after the sort of the blows are delivered, I promise you, beloved, that there is healing at the end. Christ doesn't expose merely to get a kick out of it. He exposes in order to heal us. But in our station in life, in America, we have to sort of do all our homework. Whenever we see this word rich 
in Scripture, whenever we see it in the book of James, whenever we see it in the New Testament or Old Testament, we have to go back and do a little bit of homework because we as Americans, we sort of sit in a, in a sort of a privileged position. But I don't want us to be in a position to where we think everybody in America falls in the category of rich people. We, we do understand that there are different economic groups in America, right? We do understand that there are people in poverty in America, right? We do understand that there are people in poverty in South Bend, don't we? So as we approach the book of James, here's three things I, I, want, I want you to avoid as we come to this text. The first thing I want you to avoid as we see this word rich in the book of James is this. I, I want you to avoid comparing America to less wealthy countries, thereby letting yourself off the hook because everybody falls into that category. If everybody falls into that category, if James is talking to everybody, he's talking to nobody. If everybody is rich, why would he use this category called rich? Even in James's day, you understand there were different regions that had different economic standings. So we can't come to the text and say, well, you know, America's richer than a lot of other countries, so James is talking to all of us. No. Rich folks in the congregation, rich folks who are tuning in, you, you got to take your whooping just like the rest of us took our whooping over these last few weeks. But there's healing at the end. Second point we have to avoid, I don't have as much as I want, so I'm not rich. Got to stay away from that. Well, that's, I mean, if, if that was the case, no, nobody would be rich. I mean, that's the downfall of riches we understand from Scripture. The more you get, the more you want. That was the famous quote from J.D. Rockefeller. They asked him, how much is enough? He said more. It's a, it's a, it's a bottomless pit. It's a, it's a void. The more materials you get, we've been there, the more we want. It never satisfies. So we can't come to the text and say, well, I'm not rich because, you know, I don't have as much as I want. We can't let ourselves off the hook that easily. Third thing I want you to avoid is I know people who have way more money than I do. So I'm not rich. Again, brothers and sisters, this, this is like the first and second point. We can always find somebody who has more than or less than us. That does not make what James is trying to say to us any less true. So those are the three things I want you to avoid in your thinking as I stand up here and proclaim God's word to you. Everything else, y'all, I'm going to just leave up to the Holy Spirit. James, in his day, you know, he didn't call out anybody in particular. He didn't say, Stephen, now you know you fall within a rich category. I'm talking to you. He let the Holy Spirit do his job. And so we will let the Holy Spirit do his job. And if the Holy Spirit is pricking your heart this morning, see that as a sign of his goodness, that he hasn't left you, that he's drawing you, that he's calling you. If you're a note taker, <laughs> I mean, if you want to take notes on James chapter 5, right, here, here's the first point. Money is temporary. Be careful how you treat it. Look at verse 1. Weep 
and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Like, man, what, James, oh my goodness, that's, that's so drastic. Like, what are the miseries that are coming upon this category of rich people? Why should they weep and why should they wail? And then you continue on in James chapter 5, and you will notice that it's nothing stark. The miseries that are coming upon the rich people is simply that their wealth is going to be taken away. Folks are going to weep and wail because everything that they have put their trust and hope in is going to vanish. This category that James is talking about in James chapter 5, literally, saints, literally to them, the worst thing that they can imagine, which brings about this weeping and wailing, the worst thing that they can imagine is being poor. That's a sad state of affairs. Story is told of a young lawyer right around 1929, right in the midst of the great stock market crash, right before the onslaught of the Great Depression. People were losing thousands upon thousands of dollars. And this young lawyer literally lost thousands of dollars, and the story is told of him. He's standing on the ledge of his 15-story work building, right at the window, and one of his co-workers is saying, hey man, don't jump, don't jump, your, your life is worth living, don't, don't do it. And that young lawyer looked back to him, and he said, you don't get it. If I'm poor, I might as well die. And he leapt to his death. Is that how we view our finances? Is that how we view what God has entrusted to us? Like, Lord, if you, you take away this, I might as well die. Notice the language that James uses in, in verse 5, in chapter 5, verse 2. He says, your, your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. I, I can't even say the word moth without thinking about... <laughs> My grandmother's closet, they had boxes of mothballs in them for, for no reason. Like, even, even as I say the word mothballs, I can smell mothballs right now as I say it. It's, it's crazy. The smell never leaves you. I don't know what happens, what they do with those mothballs, what, what kind of chemicals they put in there. I can't, can't get it out of my mind, but James says, your wealth is rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Beloved, we have to understand that rotting and moth Eating only occurs when things go unused for a long period of time. Do you know how to keep your apples from rotting? Eat them. Do you know how to keep your clothes from, I don't know if anybody has a moth problem in this room. If you have a moth problem, you know how to keep your clothes from moths getting to them? You wear them. But when you have so much, when you have so much food in the refrigerator, by the time you get to that apple, it has rotted. By the time you get to those clothes, they're moth-eaten because you haven't used them in ages. 
They've been unused. I was reading an article because that's what preachers do when weird stuff comes up like moths in Scripture. I read an article about how moths operate, right, like how they're larvae and, you know, they nest and all this kind of stuff. And the article said this, interesting, article said this, that it literally takes about six months to about a year and a half for moths to do any damage to clothes. And the way you prevent moths from doing any damage to your clothes because they don't like being disturbed is that you simply put the clothes on. James says, this is what's going to happen to our riches. (laughs) They're, They're rotting. The, the moths have gotten to them. Why? Because they're, they're unused. Imagine you're collecting all of these feathers. You're, you're hoarding feathers. I don't know where you would hoard feathers, but you're, you're hoarding all these feathers. Maybe you ripped open some pillowcases, and you have all these feathers in your hand. And you're collecting your feathers upon feathers, and all these feathers are in your arms, and you walk down to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Stadium where the Super Bowl is being played tonight. And you're the first person at this stadium, gigantic, enormous stadium, and you have all these feathers in your hands. Do you know what happens if you were to open the door to that gigantic stadium with all these feathers in your hands? That huge draft would blow all those feathers away. And saints, that's how many of us are going to enter into eternity. We're going to be hoarding, hoarding, oh, mine, 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 more, 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 more. How much more can I get? How many riches can I get? How much more can I accumulate? And God is going to open that door of eternity, and you think these feathers are stable, and everything is going to blow away. You cannot take it with you. No man man can. You can't take your savings with you. You can't take your 401k with you. Let me ask you a question that a professor of mine used to always ask. He said, what would you do for Christ with your resources today if you knew you would die tomorrow? What would you do with your resources today if you knew you would die tomorrow? And it's no coincidence, beloved, that, that James is saying this right after he said that life is a vapor. Your life is not going to last always. It's here for a moment, and then it vanishes away. So before you start to think, well, I'm not going to die tomorrow. I'm going to live forever. I'm going to live forever. I'm going to just store up and stock up and do whatever I can. And James says, remember, how many people have thought that right before they met their maker? Right before they met the king of glory? What would you do today if you knew tomorrow was it? Notice what James says in verse 3. Your gold and your silver, they're corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you. And it will eat your flesh like fire. So fun fact, I told you, you know, preachers do weird things like read articles when they're studying for sermons. Fun fact. Did you know that gold can't corrode? 
Did you know that? That's why it's such a precious metal. True gold, real gold, cannot corrode. Do you know the type of gold that can corrode? It's called fool's gold. It's called fake gold. It's called sprinkling a little gold on top of a dirty rock and saying this is real gold. That's why James says what he says in verse 3, like, your gold will be a witness against you. James uses courtroom language. Because in James's day, that's exactly what will happen. This is what will happen. Let's say you go and you buy, you know, two and a half donkeys from a guy, right? And you say, I'm going to give you 10 pounds of gold for these two and a half donkeys, right? And you say, okay, great, I'll take the deal. And then the guy that sold them to you finds out that your gold is fake gold. They will literally take you into court, and they will have like this little fire contraption. And they would put your gold in this little fire contraption. And as your gold is burning up, melting, corroding, tarnishing, that gold would be a witness against you that it wasn't real gold, it was fake gold. And you know what some people would do? Having so convinced themselves that this fake gold, that the evidence is right before them, that this gold is not real, some people would actually reach their hand in that fire saying, no, I need my gold back, even though the evidence is showing a man, woman, it's fake. It's not real. And y'all, this is why James writes, and this is why it's echoing down through the corridors of time to us in 2021 because James has to remind us that the accumulation of wealth and things y'all it is fool's gold it is not real but some of us get a little hard-headed I know I do sometime and that we would literally jump into the fire even though the Evidence centuries upon centuries have said to us, Christian after Christian, non-Christian after non-Christian, you can get all that you get and it will never satisfy. Why? Because it's fool's gold, beloved. Just say, Pastor Stephen, I would never, that's crazy. I would never jump into the fire. You're being a little drastic, a little dramatic, aren't you? I would never jump into the fire after those things. Let me pause you right there. As I pause myself right there, it's preparing this sermon. Let me ask you this question. If the Holy Spirit were to take your career and throw it into the fire, would you go in after it? Is it that valuable to you? If the Holy Spirit were to take, man, all those bullet points on your resume, the degrees, I don't know, the letters before and after your name, and, and throw it into the fire, would, would you go in after it? If the Holy Spirit were to take your savings, oh my goodness, not my savings. 
and throw it into the fire, would you, would you go in after it? It sounds crazy, beloved, but literally, this is what we do. We, we burn ourselves. We give all, even to the destruction of our flesh, pursuing things that do not last after our last breath. We do it all the time. We, we burn ourselves. We burn our families. We burn our churches. We burn our relationships. We burn our own spirituality. We burn our prayer. We burn our Bible reading because we're pursuing things that James is saying, y'all, look, there's evidence right before you. It's fool's gold. It doesn't last. How, how much is it? How much is it costing you? Goes on, end of verse 3. Said, man, you, you have stored up treasure in these last days. I love that. You know, James was written around A.D. 48, 49. Somewhere around that range, right? The book of James was written. So that means like 1,900 years ago, the book of James was written. 1,900 years ago, James says, we're in the last days. And 1,900 years later, we're still here. Beloved, as James is going to point out, it doesn't matter if Christ is coming back tomorrow or 1,900 years from now. It should not determine or detract you from doing what you're supposed to be doing for the Lord. It shouldn't. We, we can't all of a sudden start to think, beloved, that since things are going awry in America, that all of a sudden Christ is coming back tomorrow. But don't be fooled. We're in the last days. So last days is connected to what James says next. Did you, did you catch that, what James says next? At the beginning of verse 4, look. My second point, people are eternal. Be careful how you treat them. Last days, then the next thing that James says is look. Because I imagine that, you know, in James's congregation, much like you and I, you know, when we hear the word last days and then we hear the word look, we're asking a question, what are we looking for? James, am, am, I, looking, am I looking to the stars? James, am I looking to the heavens? James, am I looking for sort of sign or wonder? James, where, where, where should I fix my vision? And James is like, fix it on the person right in front of you. You catch that? Look, the pay you withheld from your workers who mold your fields is crying. They're crying out. The last days should bring about an action. That action should be a looking. And that looking should be to the humanity that is right in front of us. It's much like Jesus said in his own words in Luke chapter 18, verse 8. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? 
when, when Christ comes back, you, you understand in Scripture, like, the last days are, are compressed between the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. When he comes back, is he going to find living faith in his people? Well, well, Stephen, what type of faith should we have? And James says, well, keep on reading. I'm glad you asked. The type of faith that is concerned about other people. Man, verse 4, I, I tried to get around verse 4. I couldn't do it. Verse 4 screams out. It screams out, God cares. He even cares about how Christians treat people who work for them. I don't care if it's the janitor who is mopping the floors or the landscaper who is cutting your grass. God cares how you treat them. Should be no distinction between Sunday Stephen when I'm in church and boss Stephen when I walk into the office. St. James is saying to us, if, if we have to undress ourselves of all of our Christian virtue when we go into the office on a Monday morning, either we need a new career or we never had those virtues to begin with. Beloved, should be no distinction. That's what James is, is trying to, to hit hard at. Like, if, if our power and our longing for prestige and our longing for just another rung in the corporate ladder causes us to step on people's heads time and time again, look at verse 4 and realize God cares. He's watching. And he's vengeful. How we act in, in church and how we act in the office. It, man, it shouldn't be dual personalities. Barna Group did a research study, man, late 90s, early 2000s, and this is what they found out. It said 85% of people don't invite their coworkers to church because they're afraid their work life doesn't line up with their church life. And I got to be honest, like, I've been in that position. Like, oh, man, these worlds can never meet. Like, if they found out I was active in the church, man, they might call me a hypocrite and rightly so. Listen, James 4 and verse 5, if you're, if you're under the sound of my voice, whether in person or watching on the live stream, and you have any power or position or any influence on your job, if you manage one soul, if one soul reports to you, God cares how you treat that person. This is a justice issue for God, and he takes justice issues quite seriously. Man, read the Old Testament. Read the Psalms. 
read any of the prophets, he takes justice issues quite seriously, especially, beloved, even as we continue to unpack verse 4 and 5, especially if you are doing well off and those who are working for you can't get enough to eat. Man, James says in verse 5, look, look at verse 4 and 5. Just so y'all, y'all see I'm not making this stuff up, y'all. Look at your text. Look at the pay you withheld from your workers who mold your field, man. <laughs> They're like high up, and these folks just cutting the grass. The outcry of the harvesters has reached the Lord of the harvest, or Lord of armies. Rather, verse 5, you, you live in luxuriously on earth. You've indulged yourselves. You've fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. Y'all, if, if Christians, and they have any choice, any influence, any say-so in the matter, and they keep doing better financially while those who are working for them keep doing worse and worse off, something is wrong. I know a brother, and I'm not going to say his name because... He would be a little embarrassed, a godly man that I know, man, a well, well-to-do business owner in Michiana, godly man, one of my, I would consider him one of my mentors in the faith for how he loves his family, his work ethic. And, and I know this because I know some of the employees that work for him. But this brother operates like this. Whenever he has a choice between fattening his own pockets and making sure that his employees are taken care of, he always goes with the latter. Whenever he says, you know what, I can get paid a little bit more, and somebody who's working way down in my business can suffer, I'm going to make sure that they're taken care of. Notice what this commentary says. And I'm, I'm going to just paraphrase. You can read it on the screen. But this commentary says if you're, if you're a Christian business owner and you're bawling and your bank account is fat and it keeps getting fatter, yet you have employees who are working for you who have to make a choice every single month whether to buy diapers or buy food for their kids, repentance is needed. It's needed. Now, I know, I know, because I know what day and age we're living in. I know you, you hear me say something like this. We read James chapter 5. We see commentaries and commentaries upon end who would say the same thing, like Christian business owners, if, if you're balling and your employees are struggling, something is wrong, I know what you're thinking. You're asking yourself a question right now. Is, is, is Pastor Stephen a Republican or Democrat? I know. I know that's what you're asking. And the reason why we would ask ourselves that question is because we have so been discipled by American politics that any Christian structure we try to place within one of two political party systems. But brothers and sisters, James knows nothing of a two-party American system. But he does know about a Christian system. And a Christian system is simply this. Christians are generous. Christians are not hoarders. 
They're not greedy while other people suffer. We don't take our politics and put them on top of the Bible and try to shift the Bible around so it matches up with our politics. No, we take the Bible and put it on everything else. And if everything else doesn't fit, we jettison it. We get rid of it, brothers and sisters. I know. I know. Like, wow, that sounds a little, I don't know if I agree with that. But I, I don't know how else James could have said it. Is he, not, is he not clear? Am I clouding what James is making clear here? He knows of Christians who are generous. He knows of Christians who care. He knows of Christians who are like, I'm going to pull you up as well. He, he knows Christians that don't make a distinction between the landscaper and the CEO. All in the image of God. You know, James anticipates an argument here. And I kind of love that he anticipates this argument. And it's sort of an evil argument, but he anticipates it. He anticipates the argument like, <laughs> you know, I mean, so what? I'm powerful. I got a little sway on my job. Who cares if the janitor thinks I'm unfair? Like, what are they going to do about it? He, he anticipates the argument like, you know, I'm, I'm high up in my company. Man, who cares if the groundskeeper thinks I'm unfair? James anticipates that argument because he says at the end of verse 4, do you know who cares? The Lord of armies. Their cry has gone over your head. They haven't followed the hierarchical system. They haven't followed the org chart. Their cry has gone directly above you and has gone to the Lord of armies. And he cares how we treat those who work for us, brothers and sisters. He, he hears. You know, the Lord of armies is like, the Lord of hosts, the, the Lord who controls thousands upon thousands of angels. You know the angels in Scripture, like one angel would show up on the scene and it would cause a whole group of grown men to fall on their faces in fear. The Lord controls millions of them. Now, I don't care how much you work out at the crock, how much you work out at Planet Fitness, how often you run. Nobody wants to step toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Lord of Armies. But we might find ourselves in that position, beloved. If we don't hear the Lord calling us, if we don't hear the Lord drawing us, if we don't hear like the Lord saying to us, like today, Today is the day of salvation. Christ doesn't just expose brothers and sisters to get a kick out of it. He exposes to heal us. He exposes us to sanctify us. He exposes us to bring us closer to himself. I'm so glad Man, at this Sunday is the Lord's table. 
Because we read the book of James, y'all, and, and, and no one is safe. Every category of Christian needs sanctification. Every category of Christian needs to be drawn closer to Jesus Christ. Every category of Christian needs to repent daily. Y'all, we struggle with sin daily. Rich, poor, black, white, well-to-do, not. We all struggle with sin. And James is like, we need to fall on our faces before Calvary on a regular basis. I'm so glad today is communion Sunday. Do you notice the, the, the diamond in the rough at the end of James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6? You'll almost read past it. James says there you, you, have, you have murdered, you have condemned the righteous one who, who does not resist you. Who does not, did you catch that at the end? I love that. Now, in, in the context of James, he's talking about those poor folks that some of the Christians were abusing. But y'all, in light of that, we, we cannot miss sort of the echoing in the ears of his congregation. We can't miss the other one who was condemned, who was murdered, and who did not resist. We can't miss him because the only way that you and I are set free is because of that righteous one who was condemned and murdered and who did not resist. The prophets say he was like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, like, like, like a, a dumb lamb who didn't even open his mouth. Why didn't Christ resist? Because he knew the cost. He, he knew the cost to buy us back. He knew the cost to take all of our sin, all of our greed, all of our rebellion. He knew what it would cost to get us in a right relationship with the Father, and he did not resist. He, he paid it all. All your sin, all your trespasses, all your transgressions, all your anger, all your infidelity, all your lust and rebellion. He, he, he paid it all. He, he knew what it would cost. And y'all say it all the time. Sal salvation is free to us. But it's not cheap. It costs the Son of God his very life. So those of us who are gathered here, whether you're in person or whether you're at home, we, we take this, this, this bread, this, this wafer, and, and we remember together what the cost of our salvation is, what the cost of our redemption truly is. The Son of God who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. And he took it all upon us. And in this place, y'all, we get the righteousness of God. So for those of us who, man, have placed our hope in our, in our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, we, we just simply remember his death. Christ said we remember his death in, until he comes. So we're going to be doing communion until we get to that great banquet feast.
when Christ comes back to get us, remembering his death. Remembering that he died so you wouldn't have to die under the wrath of God because no man can stand under the full wrath of God unless it is the God-man who took all of that on our, on our behalf. So as he sat around the table, he took the bread and he, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's commune together. The same way, beloved, the, the cup was there. The blood of the new covenant. The blood of the covenant that never fades, never vanishes. It's forever. Reminder of what Christ did for us. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, you, you will see that the, the wrath of God is compared to a cup. Like who can drink the cup of God's wrath? Christ did. So that all of God's anger that was meant for you, for your sin, was placed in a cup, and Jesus Christ drank it all on Calvary. Drank it down, as the King James Version says, to the dregs. Like to the bottom, there's nothing left of the wrath of God for us who have our faith in Jesus Christ. We can look at the bottom of that cup, it's like there's nothing else you can tip it over. The wrath of God is gone for us who believe in Jesus Christ. Same way he took the cup. The blood of the new covenant. Just for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's commune together.